My message this morning is called The Commendable Heart. The Commendable Heart. This series is called The Enviable Life. And it comes from, I'm teaching on the Beatitudes. And I said last week that the Beatitudes are a series of blessings. Jesus said, blessed, 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 blessed. And uh, it's a series of blessings that God has given. You understand Jesus is God, right? And God is saying, I will bless you when, I will bless you when, I will bless you when. And so the Beatitudes are a series of uh, blessings that Jesus declared on people who manifest particular attitudes that are in sync with the attitude and the lifestyle of the kingdom of heaven. So when we manifest attitudes that are in the Beatitudes, it commands a blessing from God. I don't know about you, but I want a blessed life. The word blessed I shared last week is the word to be envied, to be favored, to be fortunate, to be well off. I don't think anybody will say, yeah, no, I'll pass on that one. We all want to be blessed, favored, uh, fortunate. We want to be enviable. We look at the lifestyles of the rich and famous and we envy if not all of their lifestyle, we envy some of what they have. I read Romans chapter 12, verse 2 last week. I'm going to repeat it, but only from how I broke it down. This is my translation. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, simply put, this is what it means. Don't be, don't be molded by the value system of the God of this world. But be transformed by changing your thinking to line up with the value system of the God of the universe. Don't be molded by the value system of the God of this world. Can I tell you something? We don't spend enough time in church. We don't spend enough time in the Word. We hear more politics on TV, on the laptop, on the internet, in the coffee break room. We hear more politics and we have, you know, views from the left and views from the right. And we get all churned up and all stirred up and everything that happens. Now, it's good that as Americans you are aware of what's going on in your nation. And so you need to be. But what happens is that the left or the right ends up influencing our thinking more than the Word of God, which is dead center. Hello? Did I lose you all or are you still here? We get to come here and we get to hear inspired teaching. And I need that after having my ears in the world all week. I need to hear God's heart and God's perspective. And honestly, we need to be more committed to coming. You moms and dads, especially if you got young kids, it's great to have a vacation and go away and, and, and do family stuff. But can I let you in on a little secret? Part of my passion 
is that my parents were absolutely committed to the things of God. And if you're missing church three times, four times, two times on a regular basis, do you think your, ch your children are going to be more fervent at going to church than you were? But I bet you you're, in your head at least you're trying to save for their future. Why don't you save their future and set an example and be in the house of God week after week after week? Because in the end, they don't care if you give them a, a car when they graduate. After four or five years, it'll be a heap anyway. What they will care about is whether or not you gave them the principles of life. Good preaching, Pastor Ron. It'd be very rare if your kids are in church more than you were. But the chances of them being in church as much as you were are greatly increased if you're in the house of God consistently and faithfully. Amen. Just my two cents worth. I know I'm, I'm nobody and you don't need to listen to me, but hey, that's my opinion. And I learned it from my parents. They affected me. They affected me. They gave up everything to follow Jesus. That's why this passion is here. No, hardly anybody would know Alfonso Scarano, but he is an icon in my memory. And Mary will soon join him. And she is a heroine to me. They are incredible, God-loving, God-fearing people. And they set a standard, and I'm trying to live it. Set a standard for your kids. You hear me? Amen. The Beatitudes are hard attitudes, a lifestyle of thinking. And it gets God's attention every time. Every one of these Beatitudes is a, an attitude that will command God's attention and cause them to bless you. Matthew chapter 4, I started this last week. You need to listen to the tape. Blessed are the poor in spirit. It's not those that are miserable wretches. It's blessed those who aren't up themselves full of arrogance and have a haughty attitude in their heart. Blessed are those that are humble down to earth and they don't think they're superior to other people. But here we go. Blessed, uh, Matthew 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You see, it's, it's the lack of study and the lack of uh, digging into the Word of God that sometimes causes us to read this and on the surface. It's like, yeah, big cheese. Blessed are they that mourn, they'll be comforted. I'd rather not have to mourn in the first place. But Jesus is saying a lot more than what the surface of those words say. You see, we interpret the Word of God by the rest of the Word of God. Sometimes one sentence, you read it and it's like, okay, as a standalone, what's it really saying? But when you put it together with the complete, all the volumes on the heart of God, the Bible is volumes on the heart of God. And when you put that verse together with all the volumes that are written on the heart of God, wow, it will pick up meaning and be intensified. 
You see, Jesus said, blessed are those that mourn, for they will be comforted. Big deal. I'd rather not mourn. How many of you would rather not have to mourn? Okay? Being comforted is the afterthought. So everybody mourns sooner or later. So what's Jesus really talking about? Sometimes we can understand what Jesus meant by understanding what he didn't mean. Did you hear me? For example, everybody can mourn. Is God just saying, well, anybody who's been broken and hurt and they're they're sorry or they're sad about something, uh, they're going to be comforted. Really? Here, listen to this story. This happened last week, by the way. I thought it was so cool. I laughed when I read this here. Uh, 45 boxes of bananas had been donated to the Texas Department of Criminal Justice due to the fact that they were already too ripe for the market. So they had come in through customs. They were on the pier, uh, you know, on the docks, and they were donated to the Texas Department of Criminal Justice because the receivers found that the bananas were already too ripe to go to market. After picking up the shipment, they discovered a bundle that appeared to be a white powdery substance. U.S. Customs arrived after being notified and they confirmed that the white powdery substance was cocaine. They uncovered 540 packages of cocaine stashed inside the boxes with an approximate street value of $18 million. Now, I can assure you that whoever put the cocaine there was not sending it to the Texas Department of Corrections. So somewhere out there, there is somebody who is mourning $18 million worth. And I don't think the Holy Spirit is going to comfort them. Professional mourners. It is very popular in Asia and in the Middle East, but it is actually becoming popular in Europe. I I, I saw it for myself. I went to the website. There is a website of a company in England offering professional mourners. And when you research this, you will see that it's becoming quite fashionable even in Western circles and uh, <laughs> one article said that you could earn up to $300, uh, sorry, 300 euros per funeral that you attend as a mourner. I guess in that sense, blessed are they that mourn. <laughs> what was Jesus really talking about? And what did Jesus really mean? You see... I think most things start with good intention. And so this whole concept in the Bible we read about professional mourners, where did this originate from? What was the initial attitude? Sure, some of it got caught up in arrogance and pride, and we want a lot of people mourn. But, you know, I think probably it started with the attitude of, you know, John here in the casket wasn't the best of people, but... You know, if we get a couple of people in the morn, as they're mourning, it'll help other people think about the goodness of him, the few good things he did, and it'll evoke a little bit of conscience, and 
it'll help to mourn. Well, it became a whole fad, became a whole industry, and it's thousands of years old, and it's making a comeback. So is Jesus talking about professional mourners? Is he talking about just people who mourn, they're going to be blessed, that catches God's attention? Listen, I don't believe that's what Jesus is saying. People can mourn for a lot of reasons, so mourning itself doesn't automatically qualify you for God's blessing. Can I get an agreement? People can mourn for a lot of reasons. Every time my mother spanked me, I mourned. That did not bring the comfort and the blessing of God. Okay? Uh, you can mourn for a lot of reasons that doesn't automatically qualify you for God's blessing. Can I tell you, let me put this in a paraphrase. This is simply put. This is my translation. As I was praying last week, this is what I believe the Holy Spirit downloaded to me. You identify what Jesus isn't saying, and you identify what is written in light of everything you know about the heart of God. Does that make sense? All right, you can't build doctrine on one scripture. You take all the volumes that reveal God's heart and you, I, you identify and understand what he's saying in a particular passage by knowing who God is. So simply put, blessed, favored, to be admired and even emulated are those who can mourn and empathize and feel what others are feeling when they are hurting to the point of being moved to action. Jesus said, blessed are they that mourn. How many of you think Jesus would say yay to that right there? You don't think so? I do. Blessed, favored, to be admired and emulated are those who can mourn or empathize, feel what others are feeling when they're hurting to the point of being moved to action. What's Jesus saying? You know, the very first beatitude, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. And in today's lingo, that doesn't translate well. And we found that what it meant, and from other scriptures, what we saw, it was confirmed to mean, is blessed are those who aren't proud, blessed are those who aren't arrogant or haughty or up themselves, stiff and stodgy, blessed are those who are humble. They're real. They're down to earth. They don't have a superiority attitude. They realize that most of us are like the rest of us. And it's interesting that he starts with that correction. He starts with that statement. He starts with that focus. Because every beatitude that follows after that is impossible to maintain or have or get that attitude unless you get number one right. You see, blessed are they that mourn means blessed are people who can stand with another person who's broken and feel their pain and be moved by their pain. And people who can do that 
when it's their turn, they will be comforted by the very hand of God. You see, this falls into alignment with the heart and the character of God. If you read a few verses down, and we're not going to go there, but if you do, it says, blessed are those that are merciful, they shall receive mercy. You see, what we are to others is what God will be to us. And blessed are they that mourn, blessed to be admired and to be emulated are people who could get out of their own arrogance and get out of their own little world and step into the world of another person less fortunate than themselves and actually feel and experience what they're feeling so much so that they're moved to action on that person's behalf. How many of you think Jesus would say that? Jesus would teach that. But you can't do number two if you don't get number one right. And we got to get our heads out of the cloud. Or out of another place a lot closer to the earth. By the way, some of you laughed. I know you know you've been where I've been. Come on, church. The Word of God is very relevant. Don't get religious on me. Don't get offended. The Word of God is real. And when Jesus preached it, he was very real with the people he spoke to. Blessed are they who can step out of their comfort, step out of their fortune, step out of their world, and come into the world of people less fortunate. And mourn with them, feel for them, empathize with them. Can I get an amen? People like that deserve to be blessed. And people like that will always command God's attention. They will catch his heart. Why? Because that's how God is. Can I, I'm going to do something with scripture. I'm going to prove a point. Okay? I want to prove a point to you for a moment. This doesn't come as second nature to us unless we get really touched by the Spirit of God. But as mere human beings, having empathy, being compassionate doesn't just come naturally. We need the Spirit of God to touch us. Now, some people are a little bit more prone this way. Some by nature are givers. Others are takers. But generally speaking, we don't just naturally always think, how is that person feeling? We think about how we're feeling, how it offends me, or how this affected me. And so here, I'm going to give you an example. We do this all the time. Are you ready for an example, Tatiana? I'm going to give everyone an example here. How many of you have ever read the verse... The enemy, um, the, the enemy is the accuser of the brethren, and he goes before God day and night. How many of you are familiar with that scripture? Is the enemy an accuser of the brethren? Does he accuse you? Does he bring falsification against you? Does he speak in your head and condemn you and tell you you're, you're, you're worthless, you're no good, you're, you're a failure, God doesn't love you? Does he do that? Yeah. 
And so how many of you could relate to the fact that the enemy is the accuser of the brethren and he goes before God day and night? How many of you can agree? Do you ever get comfort from knowing that? The enemy is, he, he's an accuser. He's, he's just at it again. Okay, now let me ask you a question. God says that. God said it, didn't he? God said it. That the enemy is the accuser of the brethren. You know what I find really interesting? God says it. And he talks about life. Listen. From our perspective. Because he's forever putting himself in our shoes and feeling our world. And he says the enemy is the accuser of the brethren. And he comes before God day and night. Can I tell you something? The God who said that, who loves you more than himself in that he came to earth and he died for you. But the God who said that, he was the first victim of the accuser. And we never think about it. We, we hear that verse and we identify. Yeah, the enemy's been beating me up. Yeah, he told people really nasty things about me. God, what are you going to do about it? And God, who knows this enemy, not only was the first victim in the garden, the God who created the heavens and the earth and said to his created being who didn't have breath until he put breath inside of him, you can eat of everything. It's yours, kids. Just one tree, don't touch. Just out of honor, out of respect, out of obedience. It'll hurt you, but I'm not going to explain all that right now. It's not good for you. Just trust me. Obey me. And the enemy was able to come and in a short period of time, degradate the image of God in their minds. Created beings. They were still lukewarm off the tips of his fingers from having been created. And here they are. Breath that wasn't even theirs. It came out of God's mouth. And here they are pointing at God and believing a negative image about him. And guess what else? The number one thing I hear from church people and non-church people is this. If God is good, then why did this happen? And why does that happen? And why does this happen? And why does that happen? And the accuser of the brethren, long before he accuses you to God, he will accuse God to you. How often do we think about that? We read that verse, yeah, he's talking to me. <laughs> That's so true. I hate that devil. And do we ever put ourselves in God's shoes? Do we ever mourn with him, so to speak? Do we ever, God, how do you feel? Because that accuser accuses you way more than he ever accuses me. He might accuse me to a hundred people or even a thousand people, but that devil has been accusing you from the beginning of time to everyone that breathes and lives. You see, I say that to say, not shame on you for identifying with the verse, but really by nature, 
We don't just put ourselves in the other person's shoes or we would have thought about how God feels. He's often the accused. He's always the accused. And he gets blamed for everything. And yet he's the, the very one who's sustaining our lives by his word. Can I get an amen? You see, there's something extremely godlike to put yourself in the shoes of somebody else's world and to feel what they feel. And probably one of the things that the church really needs to brush up on is this, learning how to mourn. No, not walk it around down in the mouth. We do that just because we like attention. No, feeling what other people feel. Oh, here's this new guy, Joe. Uh, I've never seen him before, but you know what? I, 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 I need to get home. I got to get the roast going. I don't have time to talk to him. Or we, we see someone who is less fortunate than ourselves, and so often, wasn't that what the whole parable of the Good Samaritan was about? You see, you identify what he's not saying, and then you identify what he is saying by all the other volumes that reveal his heart. He's not saying, blessed are the people who are miserable. There are drug dealers that are miserable. He ain't going to bless them. And there are people that are wicked and vile and they are destructive and they mourn some time. And he's not saying, I'm going to bless them. He's saying, I will bless you when you see the misfortune of others and you will identify with them because that's exactly what I do all the time. Wow. You want the enviable life? Get out of your chair and go up to someone who's absolutely new. You're used to Pastor Rob ranting and raving. You're used to him preaching a little too long or getting a little too loud. You're used to the music being energetic. That new guy doesn't know anybody here. Can we get out of our chair and go over to somebody who's absolutely new and put ourselves in their shoes for a minute? Can we care about people less fortunate than ourselves? Oh, they deserve that anyway. <laughs> We need to go back to the first beatitude. Blessed are those who don't have their heads up their butt. I could say it in church. You say it at home, so I could say it in church. Blessed are those who aren't stuck up. Blessed are those who aren't just, thank you. Who's saying it? Go on, Galen. Go on, I don't want to stop you. Amen. I will always be real with you. I will always be real with you. You say, well, Pastor, you should be ending the sermon now because we're over time. Listen, all week long, we've been inundated with all this stuff in politics, and we'll repeat it, and we'll talk about it at the water fountain. Somebody needs to squeeze a little bit of juice of Jesus on us. We need the juice of Jesus, and you're only going to get it from the Word, church. Come on. So I don't apologize. Maybe I'm long-winded, but guess what else? I'm long-winded and good. Praise God.
Now I got to go back to the first beatitude. Oh, Lord, forgive me for being arrogant. I'm so... <laughs> I wrote down, and I am going to wrap it up. I was going to do the third one as well, but we don't have time. But I wrote here, I'm going to make a statement. Empathy enables you to understand, to feel what the other person is feeling. Don't pray you want more of Jesus if you're not willing to be more like Jesus. Did you hear me? Everybody wants more of Jesus. And Jesus said, yeah, I want more of Jesus too. I want more of Jesus in you. Good preaching, Pastor Rob, right? Thank you, Joe and Judy. Come on, church. Am I telling the truth? Come on. Just because I'm not the preacher who smiles all the time or has a joke for every point he's making, doesn't mean that what I have to say is any less important. In fact, I'll tell you what some of those other guys won't tell you because my popularity and my viewing attendance isn't the first priority. Your longevity in Christ is my first priority. So empathy enables us to understand and to feel what the other person is feeling. Here, put it on the screen, Matt. Empathy allows you to put yourself in the shoes of another. Empathy. Blessed are they that mourn. Empathy. You feel what somebody else is feeling. Empathy allows you to put yourself in the shoes of another. Now watch this. Compassion compels you to put the other in better shoes. You can't have compassion until you have empathy. And you can't have empathy when we are so up ourselves and our world is wonderful. You will never see anybody else in any other world in anything that doesn't commemorate our little world and our existence. Empathy allows you to put yourself in the shoes of another. It allows you to feel what they feel, to experience their hurt, to understand their lack. But compassion will compel you to put the other in better shoes. You can't get to compassion until you get to empathy. And you can't get to empathy until you get out of yourself. Good preaching, Pastor Rob. We all want to get to heaven. But God says, I want you to be the salt of the earth. Sometimes I think to myself, it might be to God's benefit if he takes us to heaven. Because we're not being good salt. Thank you, Dominic. Thank you. And it's not that I want the accolades or the praise. I want to, when you say stuff like that, it lets me know you're not getting offended. You got it. And it's doing a work in your heart. That's what that's about. It helps encourage me because 
every time while I'm preaching like this, you, you may not see it, but put on your spiritual glasses. There are demons standing around both ears telling me to shut up and how stupid I am and how people won't show up next week. And if you think I'm kidding, you should be inside my head. I just talk to the hand. Empathy allows you to put yourself in the shoes of another, but compassion compels you to put the other in better shoes. Compassion is empathy in action. Compassion is empathy in action. Oh, I feel you, brother. See ya. Oh, I just, I can... I can identify with what you just said. I am so sorry. Yeah, that is, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I got to go. Compassion is empathy in action. And if all you ever have is empathy and it never goes any further, further all you've done is Made yourself a martyr. Oh, I feel the pain too. Oh, I feel the pain too. We don't need martyrs in that respect. We need fathers who will have the heart of the father. And they'll feel what others are feeling. And they'll commit themselves to prayer or commit themselves to giving or commit themselves to sowing acts of kindness and of love and of care and of concern. Carlos showed me a really cool picture. I love Carlos. He preaches to me a lot and often through funny pictures or, or sayings. And uh, every so often, you know, when the load's getting a bit heavy, he'll pull out his cell phone, Joshua, and he'll, he'll show me something that's really cool. And the other day, <laughs> are you here, Carlos? Are you in here? No. He's next door. Okay. The other day, he pulls up this picture. I'm trying to remember the context, but it's a picture of a pastor praying for a woman, and she's just crying. She's so hurting, and she has a knife in her back. And as he's comforting her, and he's praying for her, and you could see the passion in his heart, he's got 20 knives and blades sticking out of his back. You see, Cain, after he murdered his brother, and God said, hey, where's your brother? And God knew. And Cain's response was, am I my brother's keeper? We can say, well, I didn't murder my brother. Yeah, you did when you didn't answer the 911 spiritual call. We knew they were hurting, we knew they were in need, but we couldn't be bothered to bend our knee. That rhymes. It just flowed out of me. I'm a poet and I didn't know it. Church, are you hearing me? 
You see, this whole sermon of Jesus's, the Beatitudes, they are the best attitudes. And they are the attitudes that reflect God's heart. And they are attitudes that when we live like this, it grabs God's attention. Goodness me, we live like this, you won't have to pray for another thing. Because if we live the Beatitudes, our life will be screaming in the heavens. And God will say, bless you, my child, bless you, my child, bless you, my child, bless you, my child, bless you, my child. You read the Beatitudes and all he says is, bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. And not because you sneeze. The word bless, which I went through last week, means to be favored and enviable, to be the dream of everybody else's lifestyle. We are too shaped by the politics of this nation, whether it's the left or the right. Americans, get off your flipping horse and get into the Word of God and let's be shaped by the heart of Jesus Christ. That's all. I'm done. Beatitudes. They are the best attitudes. Arianna, so good to see you. You just made me really happy. I mean that. You just made me really happy. How's Elio? Will you call him and tell him I love him and miss him? I mean that. So happy to see you. Thank you. Good girl. Church. What else do I say? It's not about going to church. I come here because it'll sharpen me up. You need to come here because his presence. Will my piano player come? You need to be here regularly because his presence will shape you and sharpen you up. And the Word, well, we, we have a half-capable preacher. The Word will affect you too. It's amazing what the Word in an ordinary preacher can be in the hands of an extraordinary God. Amen. Come on, stand with me. Stand with me. If I haven't been talking to your heart, let me, let me talk to your heart as we zero in for the close here. Let me talk to your heart. I want us to be the best church, but the best church isn't 5,000 bigger than the next biggest church. That's not the best church. The best church isn't the better music and the better sound system and the lights and programs. No, no, I'm aiming for something else. I got a buddy who used to come here and he hasn't seen me for a long time, hasn't stepped into this church for ages. 
And he keeps calling me and telling me what I need to do so I, our church could be better like all the other big churches. I just smile and I listen to him. I want us to be the best church. And the best church starts with you. You're the church. Me. I'm the church. And it starts with you and me being like Jesus. That's the best church. I'm going to preach to your heart, and I always will preach to your heart. And sometimes I'll say stuff that's tough. Sometimes I'll say stuff that's hard to hear. Sometimes I'll say stuff that's hard to say. But I made God a promise a long time ago. I don't want to be a hireling. I want to be a good shepherd. And if I have to let my popularity suffer for the sake of saying the truth, that's okay. I've already been written off many times. But I'm still here, and God is still with me. Amen. Amen. Church, you, let's be the best church by being the most like Jesus that we could be. The Beatitudes are the best attitudes. They're all of God's attitudes. Come with me on a journey. Don't miss next week. Every Beatitude is a whole nother principle that we in our Western culture, we really need to get our brains totally rewired. We do. We've been so religious we're inoculated against the deeper truths of God. We really need to get in here and forget the stupid clock and be more concerned about whether or not the preacher is preaching truth than whether or not he's preaching quick enough. Blessed are they that mourn who can go up to an absolute stranger and say, how you doing, buddy? Are you comfortable? You okay? I want to make you feel really welcome here. Thank you for being here. God bless you guys. What's your name again? Judy? Oh, Judy. Okay, thank you, Judy. I'm going to look forward to seeing you next week. I'm going to remember your name. What do you think? I do that because, well, that's what he gets paid for. No, I do this because I love God. And I love his kids. And I'll be honest with you. I love him more than I love you. Sometimes I get angry with you. Be honest. I get angry with people. Sometimes I've been kicked so many times. I don't want to do this anymore. But I love him. I love him. And he loves you. And he loves me. And I look in the mirror and I think, Robbie, you dummy. You're just like everybody else. And so then I start loving you again. <laughs> I mean that metaphorically. I'm not angry at anybody. Just, I'm trying to be real. I am being real. Some really hard times are coming, church. The enemy is going to rise up with great fury. 
And he's going to become even more stealthful and more subtle. And he's looking to decimate the house of God. Preaching like this and having longer services does not put me on the fast track to being numbered among the fastest growing churches. But Jesus in in, in the Gospel of John, you know, when he prays for his disciples, he says something that when I was a kid, it struck me and it stayed with me ever since because I knew he was calling me into the ministry. And he said something in that prayer in John 16 and 17. And this is what he said, Father, as many as you have given me, I have kept except for the son of perdition. And I'm sure Jesus wept over Judas. And ever since I was a kid, it stuck out in my head. God, help me to be able to say that as many as you've given me, I've kept. I'm committed to telling the truth. We need to change you and me. We need to change. And what is the measure of a great church is how much we become like Jesus. Let's be like him. Let's be like him. Amen. Empathy will allow us to feel what others feel, but compassion is empathy in action. Empathy will let you put yourself in the other person's shoes, but compassion will compel you to buy them better shoes. This is how we need to live. In Jesus' name. I love you. I do. I love you. I care about you. Some of you I don't even know yet. I care about you. Me and... A group of people, every morning we pray here. We pray for you guys. We say, God, bring in people we don't even know and start blessing their lives, their families, their, their relationships. Bless their immediate family, their extended family, and even their associates. I am convinced I can't outgive God. And so whatever I sow, he's got my back. He's got your back. Be a giver in every sense of the word. Give your life to the things of God. Give yourself to people. They'll bite. They'll kick. They'll scratch. They'll make you retract like a snail or like a turtle. And then look in the mirror and say these words. Most of us are like the rest of us. And then look at how much your daddy loves you and do it all over again. In Jesus' name. If anyone here has never asked Jesus in your heart, that's the most important thing. Maybe you've grown up in church, you've been religious. Forget the religion. Forget it. I don't care if you never call yourself a member of Grace and Faith Church. I don't care. It won't do a thing for you. But having Jesus in your heart, that's the beginning.
of relationship. If you've never asked Christ in your heart or if you're not sure if he's in your heart, put your hand up. Come on, put your hand up and say, I want Jesus. Come on, put your hand up. If that's you, put your hand up. Then how many of you want to be more like Jesus? Put your hand up. Father, I thank you for them being honest and humble enough to admit they need to change. I need to change. Dad, when you put this message on my heart two weeks ago, I knew, I knew, I felt you. I felt that you said this would be one of the most powerful series this year. And Holy Spirit, I pray not by my strength, not by my abilities or even giftings that come from you, but by the Spirit of God, change us. Change us, Jesus. Change us, Holy Spirit. Change us. And help us to see how beautiful you are and how beautiful we are when we are in you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, change us into his image. It's time to go. So why don't you turn around and hug people you don't know and put the sermon into practice. Come on. Don't be the first out the doors. Be the first to hug someone you don't know. Reach out. Reach out. Reach out. Love on somebody. Love on somebody.